Uh, I mentioned in my prayer that this sermon's been weighing heavy on me, and it has. I believe that that heaviness is from the Lord, because this morning's no joking matter, no laughing matter at all. Um, Any of you know, yesterday was actually the 49th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. I don't know if any of you saw that. There was actually a real big demonstration, big march in Washington, D.C. Right to Life folks were there. And since that day, Roe versus Wade decision uh, to today, we have lost 62 million lives since then have been snuffed out. And I just pray that we all as a church body take this very seriously and pray that there is no 50th anniversary for Roe versus Wade, that it loses federal protection, and that we begin to save some of these children's lives. Now, unbeknownst to me, I, I didn't realize that that anniversary was coming up. Um, I got like a little email through uh, some emails that I get earlier this week, and that's how I learned of it. Well, I thought the timing was funny that yesterday, you know, there's big demonstrations going on, and that that was that anniversary, and God had been preparing this sermon for this morning. This is not my timing. I I swear I read this maybe a month ago. We're going to go over. I read maybe a month ago, and since then, I'd been thinking about it and thinking about it, and I had other sermons prepared, and then this morning, the timing just all lines up, and I, I truly believe it's one of the Lord's ways of just saying This is the word for this morning. So we'll we'll jump right into it. I got lots of scriptures, but all of it's in the same spot. So if you like following along in your Bible, you won't have to turn all over the place. They're all kind of in the same spot. Um, We always put it up on the screens. So let's begin. Has anyone ever heard the the phrase, history repeats itself? We've kind of all heard that phrase before. It's, It's kind of like when someone says that, it's kind of like a warning, you know, like, if you don't learn from history, then we're kind of doomed to repeat it. You know, it, it usually serves as a warning, you know, like if humanity has made some sort of mistake in history that we have recorded, that we're supposed to take that historical event and apply it to our lives now so that we don't fall into the same trap we did back then. That, that's, why we, that's why people say, Oh, history repeats itself, or we're doomed to repeat history. You know, many times we fail. You observe people, you observe humanity, and you know a little bit about history. Many times we fail to learn from history, and we end up making the same mistakes and paying the same consequences. Now, I was reading through the Old Testament historical books. There's Old Testament books that are very historical, you know, written from a historical narrative, if you will. You know, the 1st and 2nd Samuels, 1st and 2nd Kings, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Ruth. Those are very historical books. They record historical events. And I've been reading through them, I don't know, last month or two. And I came across something that happens in the book of 2 Kings that really has been bothering me. Very, very foreboding. And the reason why it's bothering me is because I see history repeating itself. Okay? Almost like our nation is on the same exact 
trajectory that we're going to see the nation of Israel was on back in the book of 2 Kings. I see history repeating itself. And I ask myself, are we doomed to repeat history? Now, let me start with just a little historical context. You know that I like to get the full picture so that we can understand the totality of what the Bible is saying to us. Uh, the, the nation of Israel went through a period of judges, okay, where there was no king. They weren't supposed to have a king, but they had these judges, okay? You might remember Gideon or Samson or Deborah. Those were judges, and ironically, you can read about them in the book of Judges. That's what the book of Judges is. So, they go through this period of judges, and then Israel looks at the other nations, and they say, wait a minute, they have a king. We want to be like them. We want a king. Well, the Lord, through his prophets, are kind of like, no, I don't want you to have a king. You're not supposed to be like other nations. Well, they say, well, we want a king. God says, are you sure? Because if you want a king, this is what's going to happen. And they say, we want a king. We don't care what you have to say, God, we want a king. So I preached to you before about King Saul. He was the first king that they ever got, okay? And he makes a mess out of things. He makes a big mess. Now, we're not going to get into all that story, but he makes a big mess, gets the kingdom taken away from him, and it ends up with King David. Now, you might know about King David, preached on him before too. Pastor Joe has many a times. King David, even though he's a man after God's own heart, he pretty much makes a big giant mess too. He's just repentant towards all his uh, screw-ups and the things that he does. So even David, the second king of the nation of Israel, which they're not supposed to have a king, he makes a mess. King Saul made a mess. King David makes a mess. And then we come to David's son, Solomon, okay? And Solomon starts off real good. You know, here, here's this young lad, and, and David is trying to sow all this goodness into him. And Solomon the, meets with the Lord, and the Lord says, ask of me what you want. And he, he says, give me wisdom, Lord. Let me be wise so I can rule the people with wisdom and, and godly counsel. And God grants that to him, and he's wise, and he begins to build the house of God. King David wanted to build the, the first ever church, I guess you could call it. The first ever permanent church structure. Okay, back then, Israel was kind of more or less a nomadic people, always moving around. Well, when they settle in the land of Canaan, you know, they're, they're there. And instead of having a church in a tent like they used to, remember the Levites were the ones that had to pack it all up, carry it all around. Well, King David got in his heart and he said, Lord, I want to build you a temple, a beautiful truck structure that's permanent in Jerusalem where, where your presence can be. Well, God says, David, you shed too much blood, but your son Solomon, I'll give him a time of peace. He can build the temple. So Solomon comes along and he begins to build this beautiful temple. Uh, I, I would have loved to see it. If you, you see, read in the Bible, this structure was completely magnificent. I'm talking everything, gold, fine brass. They went and got the best craftsmen from all over the world. They, they got uh, special timber brought in. I mean, these people, iron workers, they, they built this completely beautiful temple. Took them years to complete. You know, and we kind of know it as Solomon's temple. Okay? Well, not long later, Solomon, who he's blessed and becomes pretty fortunate and has lots of money and well, he begins to marry other women, you know, and they were not 
Jews and they did not practice, uh, they did not serve Yahweh, they did not believe in God and slowly and surely they turned Solomon, you know, this, this third king, they turned his heart from the Lord. So, so you, you see already that through the lineage of these kings, wherever there's a, a person involved, humanity involved, stuff usually gets screwed up. Solomon started out real good. He builds this wonderful church. He, he dedicates it to the Lord, and the Lord even says, I will inhabit this place. I will put my name in this place. And then even Solomon's heart begins to turn, and he goes downhill. He marries these babes from other pagan nations, and slowly... They turn his heart away from God. And you have this idol worship. You have this paganism within the people of God. They, they were supposed to be God's chosen people. And now they're in, serving other gods, practicing other religions. Not good. Well, after King Solomon, and we'll try to hurry up and get through this little historical part. But after King Solomon, his son comes along. And he, and he pretty much screws things up. And under his rule and in, in, in leadership, the kingdom of Israel is split into two. You, sometimes it can be confusing if you read in the Bible because you'll see that there's two kings simultaneously. And you're thinking, how can there be two? Well, it's because it's split into to Israel and into Judah. So it's screwed up again even. That was not supposed to happen either. But here they are. Well, the Bible, through the books of First Kings and Second Kings... Everyone thinks the Bible's confusing. It's not. These kings are telling you about the different kings that ruled and the things that happened under their leadership. So you can read through those books. It tells you all about the kings and how they served God or how they didn't serve God, what happened to the nation of Israel. It's all historical. Okay? First and Second Chronicles repeats a lot of it. It's some of the same exact stuff. Now, most of those kings, if you read through those books, did that which was evil in the sight of God. Most all of them were bad. Well, wherever there's people, there's usually bad leadership. Now, not all of them. There were a few that were good kings who did serve God, who did attempt to turn the, the wicked nation back to serving God. There were a, a few, but most of them were evil. Most of them were bad and did evil things in the sight of God. So, from when Solomon built that temple, we're going to fast forward a couple of few centuries, a few hundred years or so. And we're going to pick up and read about this evil king that comes along whose name is Manasseh. Okay? And as we go through this this morning, I'll let you decide what it all means. Okay? You can try and decipher what all this means. I've got my thoughts, but I, I just want to go through this, and you try to figure out what is the Word of God trying to tell us. I mean, God put this historical event in the Bible so that here we are centuries and millennia later reading it. Is God trying to warn us and say, don't let history repeat itself? So here we are with this evil king named Manasseh. And we're going to start reading in 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 1. Now you got the background story. All these kings, most of them do evil. They screw things up. Here we are centuries later. 
It says this in verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hephzibah. Now, already, if you don't like a certain candidate here in the United States, at worst, you get him for four years, give or take. What about if you had a candidate you didn't like? It's 55 years. Verse 2 says, And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, after the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Now, that's a, a quick reference to the Canaanites. If you remember, I've preached on these things before. Hopefully, you're, over time, you're starting to connect all these dots. What did God do to the Canaanites? He booted them out of Canaan, and he brought his own people in. Is it just because he's a mean God? No, they were doing horrible, terrible things, and God let them go for many centuries. And finally, God said, that's it, I've had it. And he gets the Canaanites out of there using his own people, and he lets his own people settle in Canaan. So here we have Manasseh now. Let's read that verse 2 over again. Manasseh did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Verse 3 says, For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he reared up altars for Baal and made a grove. That's, that's kind of like a asterisk pole or an, an image or an idol of type of thing. And he made a grove as did Ahab king of Israel and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. Now when it says worshipped all the hosts of heaven, it doesn't mean God who inhabits heaven. It means the sun and the moon and the planets and the stars and astrology. So that's what this Manasseh enacts all this stuff. And this is his religion. This is the way he's going to do things. Verse 4 says, and he built altars in the house of the Lord, which the Lord said, in Jerusalem will I put my name. Look at verse 5. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Manasseh was an evil fellow. This was an evil man through and through. Now, not only did he practice witchcraft, sorcery, divinations, all, all this junk which God says, do not do those things. I am the Lord. He, I am alone. There is none beside me. Serve me only. Well, Manasseh comes along and says, no, I ain't going to serve you, Lord. I am going to serve all these false gods and false deities. Not only does he do that, but he sets them up in the temple. Which temple? Solomon's temple. Here we are centuries later, this place that was dedicated. You, you can go back and read when Solomon finished the temple, he gives this big speech, makes this big prayer. And the people pray and worship. They make all kinds of offerings to the Lord. And, and he says, Lord, even the heavens of heavens can't contain thee. Who can build a house for you? But Lord, we still built this for you. And God says, I like it. I will inhabit that. And I'll write my name on it. And I'll be with my people. Here we are centuries later. They're practicing these evil witchcraft sorceries. In that very same Solomon temple. They're setting things up here. It's like imagine New Hope Church. Hey, let's take that cross down and put up the NFL logo and worship it instead. Or let's take that cross down or get rid of that old wooden cross. And we'll put some dollar bill insignias up there and we'll worship money. That's really the same thing. They're worshiping something other than God in the very house of God. That's, that's how evil this Manasseh was. Doing it in the building that was dedicated to God. Now wickedness is being practiced in the nation of Israel and even inside the church. 
let's read just a little bit more about Manasseh. This is an evil, wicked dude. 2 Kings 21 verse 6 says, And he made his son pass through the fire and observed times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. And he wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. This, this man was so wicked, he caused his son to pass through the fire. That was this wicked, demonic, evil practice that the Canaanites actually used to do. And God wiped them clear out of the land of Canaan and said, do not do that. I do not like that. He didn't like it enough that that's what made him wipe them Canaanites out. And now here we are centuries later, his own people are doing it. His own people begin to reenact or, or reinstitute the, passing their sons and daughters through the fire. They used to burn them alive to this false god called Molech. And he made his sons pass through the fire and observe times and use enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness into the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Verse 7 says, And he set a graved, graven image of the grove that he had made in the house of the Lord, which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. This was an evil diabolical, terrible king. He practiced child sacrifice, burnt his own son to, to Molech, this, this satanic deity, soothsaying, witchcraft, consulting spiritualists, mediums. That's what this man did, and he was doing it in the church. He did these things in the church. Brothers and sisters, this makes God angry. He don't like this. He, he does not like this. When, when humanity begins to practice this, when nations, when people begin to practice these things, it bothers the Lord. It bothers the Lord. People, people don't think that God gets angry. They don't. My wife and I read something earlier this week, and it actually said God is always happy and he's always in a good mood. That's bad theology, brothers and sisters. That's bad theology written by someone who does not understand the personhood of God. Stuff makes him mad. We're made in his image. We get mad over certain things. Well, we're made in his likeness. God gets angry at things too. He's a person. This stuff starts to bother God. Oh, you, you take down my cross and you want to put up a dollar sign and worship it, huh? Oh, you want to worship your body, huh? Oh, you want to worship sex, huh? It starts bothering God. Well, it bothers God to the point of, he says, all right, that's it. I've had enough. You've provoked me long enough. I've let this go on long enough. I've given you enough time. I've given you enough rope. That's it. I'm done with you. He pronounces judgment on the nation of Israel. 2 Kings 21.11 says, this is God now, he says, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations and hath done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols, therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth of it, both of his ears shall tingle. 
This is God. God is God. You have done provoked him to wrath. Somebody, somewhere is going to get tore up. There's a nation that's going to get tore up by a holy God who has had enough. You pushed him out of bounds, and he's had it now. He's going to pour out his wrath. You pushed him too far. Now, this is the part where I hope that we can begin to maybe compare and contrast our nation today with this nation Judah and Israel and see if there are any similarities because now is the point where we should ask ourselves is history going to repeat itself here we have this nation that was supposed to be serving the Lord they were they were God's chosen people they're supposed to be serving the Lord but they have turned away to idols and wickedness well hmm here we are today a nation that was founded on Christian principles. There, there's no argument you can make about that. We were founded on Christian principles, but we have turned away to idols and wickedness. Very similar to what we see, what I'm reading about this morning with this historical event. They had groves and images of idols. We too have groves of images and idols through sports, movie stars, pleasures, almighty dollar. You name it. We have those idols. They might look a little bit different than what they did back then, but we have idols today. They had sexual perversion. We have sexual perversion. They look pretty similar to me so far. Now, here's the part that kind of seals the deal and makes me start to worry about history repeating itself. You know, as we read these historical events in the Bible, and we examine them, we have to think, okay, what about us then? If we're kind of similar to them and I see us on the same trajectory, are, are we going to repeat history? Are we doomed to repeat history? Because here's the part that makes me, this really bothers me, because God actually specifies specific reasons for why he's going to judge Israel. God's not just this big bully in the sky. No, he's patient for years and years and centuries and decades. He's patient and he gives his people plenty of time. But there is a point where God says, I've had enough. I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. And he gives specific reasons. And when I read these specific reasons, I guess I get a little shudder of fear up my spine. Because God should be feared. 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 15, God's going to give his reasons. Listen to his reasons and think of our nation. Because they have done that which was evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the days that their fathers came forth out of Egypt unto this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another Besides his sins, wherewith he made Judah to sin in doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. It's God saying, I am going to pour out my wrath on you now, Judah. You are going to pay for what you've done. And he's saying, let me tell you why. He said, because you have shed innocent blood. Too much innocent blood has been shed. You filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. What does that mean, shed innocent blood? Well, it goes back to what we already read, where Manasseh caused his son to pass through the fire. 
that this evil man reinstituted child sacrifice. They slaughtered so many children back then that it filled the blood would have filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. And God says, that's why you're going to pay. I won't tolerate that. I won't tolerate that, is what he says. That child sacrifice that they practiced caused God to say, that's it, you people were done for. You people have crossed the line. I'm going to judge you so harshly now that even if people don't see it, they hear about it, both of their ears are going to tingle and they're going to say, whoa, I don't want to be in their shoes. See, that's what all makes me worry so bad. Is we must ask ourselves this morning, have we reinstituted child sacrifice in our nation? Maybe not after they're born, for now, which I hope you know there's been many attempts to pass infanticide type legislation. Many attempts. There's people that would pass it today. Thank goodness it hasn't passed. But I'd argue and say that according to the Bible, we sure do sacrifice our children before they're born. I'm thinking a whole lot of them too. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 62 million of them. You know, I say that number and no one even has any idea what it means. 62 million, what what do you mean? I can understand one or two people dying. 62 million what is there, 350 million people in America? Divide America into fourths and murder every single person in almost every person in one-fourth of the area we divided into. That's 62 million. Nearly a fourth of the nation, maybe a fifth of the nation. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of innocent blood. And when I read historically, God don't like when we shed innocent blood. He don't like it. You know, I went on this website sometime this past week. I could be wrong about the name of it, but I think it's called Worldometer. And it tracks abortions around the world. I was on the site for maybe 10 seconds. And it has a big number, almost like the national debt number, if you've ever seen that. As I was on that site for 10 seconds... It kept ticking up, 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 real fast, too. Kept ticking up, ticking, ticking, ticking. You know, each tick represented innocent blood. It, it represented innocent blood. It made my stomach turn. Each tick, you understand, each tick, it's a poke at God. It's going up there and kicking him in his shins. It's, it's a, go up there and push him. It's an insult to him. It's like spitting in his face. Do you know that humanity, people, you and I, we're we're created in the image of God. We're we're little image bearers of God. That's the basic reason why we have to practice civility. Why? It doesn't matter what nation you're from, what color skin you're from, what language you speak. I owe you some respect. You owe me some respect. Why? Because both of us, I don't care if you're from... The other opposite end of the world, we owe each other some dignity. Because you, wherever you're from, however you were raised, you're made in the image of God. So am I. And what our nation has done is we have thrashed the image of God. Every time one of them ticks click, we've, we've 
we've desecrated the image of God. Make no mistakes, brothers and sisters, we're sacrificing our children. It's on a little bit different altar, but it's child sacrifice nonetheless. And what I'm saying is that this practice of child sacrifice, it pushes God over the edge into judgment. He's like he's a, a grizzly bear being all peaceful. And we keep going up and grabbing tufts of his hair and yanking it out. And going up and kicking him or throwing things at him. You know, a long time ago, I remember this. I'll never forget this. I was in junior high school. And I have a bad memory even. And I was sitting there eating lunch. You know, we had the big bench tables. And there was a kid sitting, you know, adjacent to me. And I would just eat my lunch and he was eating his lunch too. And this other kid come up and started messing with this dude that was sitting there. And I don't know why he started messing with him because he wasn't a small guy. He looked kind of tough to me. I knew enough not to mess with the guy. But this dude come up and started messing with him, you know, flicking his ears. And this dude was just trying to eat lunch. And it went on for a minute or so. And I'm just kind of watching out of the corner of my eye. And in a fraction of a second, that dude that was sitting there and it was messing with his ears and flicking him and messing with his hair, in a fraction of a second, that guy turned around and grabbed that guy, slammed him so that his face was up on the lunch table, and he grabbed this kid's face like this. I mean, he, I saw it. I was like, it was almost on my lunch tray. <laughs> and that kid didn't know what happened, and he grabbed his face, you know, yelled something, stop messing me, with me or whatever, and just shoved him off. And that, that dude, at that point, he had crossed the line. One too many flicks in the ear. One too many grabbing the back of his hair. And he paid the price. He suffered the wrath. i never forget that. that. That's what it's like. That's what this nation is doing to God. Do you understand it? That's what we do every day over and over and over. God is not up in heaven smiling down at us thinking you guys are doing great. He's not. He's not. I've prayed over and over, God, there's no possible way you can be happy with what's going on in this nation. So this stuff pushes him over the edge. You know, but the story doesn't end, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll hurry along here. The story doesn't end. Manasseh lives his life, dies. Another king comes after that. It's his son, but they actually conspire pretty quickly after a year or two, and they kill him off. And he doesn't last very long. Finally, a good king takes the throne. King Josiah. I'm sure many of you have heard of Josiah. Here they have this death sentence from God. God says, that's it. You guys are done for. I am going to pour out my wrath. I'm going to execute judgment. And here, <clears throat> there's hope. Because King Josiah comes on the scene. Josiah, brothers and sisters... He is a man of God through and through. The Bible actually describes him as there was no one like King Josiah who turned with all of his heart to the Lord. Neither will there be anyone like him. That's how awesome King Josiah was. You know, King Josiah takes over just a few years after this wicked, diabolical man named Manasseh. Here's King Josiah. 
And King Josiah looks around, he's like, oh, man, this ain't good. We are wicked. We are evil, and this ain't going to happen under my reign. We're turning back to the Lord. One of the first things that he does is he says, check how much money we still have in the church. You remember King Solomon's temple, which was filled with all those idols and astrology worship and sun god and moon god and all this junk was going on in there. And Josiah says, how much money do we have? And they, they count it and they tell him. And he says, go get builders to repair the, the, the temple. Because it fell into a state of disrepair. He says, we're going to repair the church. We're going to fix the church back up. That's the first thing he begins to do. He says, let's fix the church. Josiah gets a, a good group of guys. He's got a good team around him. And they begin to clean up the church. And, and listen to this. 2 Kings 22.8 says, in Hilkiah, the high priest said unto Saphon the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Saphon, and he read it. And Saphon the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it unto the hands of them that do the work, that have the oversight of the Lord, or the house of the Lord. Verse 10 says, And Saphon the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Saphon read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. They had found the Bible. Now, well, now, if we use deductive reasoning here, if they found it, we can deduce that it was lost, correct? The, the Bible was lost. And, and this high priest, they're starting to clean it up and get rid of all these idols. And who knows, maybe they threw out a book of incantations or threw out some junk and there was this old dusty Bible sitting there. Now at that point, it wasn't the whole Bible, obviously. History hadn't all been written yet. It was just the book of Moses, the, the Pentateuch, the, the words of Moses, the law of Moses. And this priest finds it and he says, man, he opens it and he reads it. And he's like, whoa, the king's going to want this. He gives it to the scribe. The scribes were the educated guys. They were the readers and the writers of the day. And the scribe reads it and he's like, whoa, man, i got to show the king this. He's going to want to see this. And he goes and he reads it to the king. And Josiah loves the Lord so much that when he hears the inspired sacred texts, he rents his clothes because they found the Bible. It was lost and they found it. He was so overcome with the inspired scripture that he rips his garment. You know what Josiah says? He says, gather everybody up. Gather everyone up. As Josiah, he hears these words and he's like, man, we've gotten way off course. We're way off the mark. And Josiah, he's going to devise a plan to straighten this mess all out. Josiah tells his team to go seek out a prophet. You know, after they find his Bible and read it, he rents his clothes, he weeps before the Lord, and he tells his guys, go find a prophet. Go find a real, authentic prophet of God and, and ask them, what's God saying to us? So the guys go out and they find a prophetess, uh, a lady, and listen to what she says in 2 Kings 22, verse 15. And she said unto them, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, tell the man that sent you to me. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched. So they go and get this prophetess and she says, well, the Lord ain't happy. He's going to destroy this place. And Josiah, he doesn't dismiss it. He takes it serious. 
Man, the Lord says this. He, he says, all right, now go gather all the people together. Bring everybody, great and small. We're going to put a stop to this wickedness that's in our nation. Boy, if we could have a King Josiah today, huh? We could only have a King Josiah today. But King Josiah, he's going to enact a plan that gets rid of all this junk and gets it clear out of there. He's going to right the ship. You know, it's getting ready to go over a waterfall, and Josiah says, man, we got to turn this thing all the way around. He's going to institute godliness and righteousness, and, and God will see that they've changed their ways. He'll have compassion, and maybe he'll relent on his plan to destroy us, and it will save the nation of Judah. So they got this death sentence from God hanging over their heads, but they got the right man in place, Josiah. And boy, this man goes on a mission against evil. I mean, this man is relentless. He, so he, he gathers everyone together. Listen to what he says in, in 2 Kings 23, verse 1. And the king sent, and Josiah sent, and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests, the prophets, all the people, both great and small, and he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and all their soul, to perform all the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people stood to the covenant. Josiah, he says, this evil isn't going to happen any longer. Gathers everyone up and he reads them the Bible. He begins to teach and to preach the Bible to his people. And they're all like, whoa. And they stand to the covenant. They say, yes, we agree. We're going to get rid of all this junk out of our land. King Josiah, he charges the people using God's word to serve God and destroy all the evil. King Josiah, after that, he goes on this mission and I mean, the man is relentless. He's going to destroy everything that that wicked king Manasseh enacted. Man, if Manasseh did it, if it's evil, if the Lord don't like it, King Josiah, this awesome king, he's going to get rid of it. He's going to be the long arm of the law. Listen to what he begins to do. 2 Kings 23 verse 4 says, And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest, and the priests of the second order, and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple, remember Solomon's temple, to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for the grove and for all the host of heaven. And he burned them without Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. Josiah says, get all that junk that's in the church. Get all that garbage that's in the church. All those false idols, all that trash, all that filth. Get it out. All the materials, all the books, everything that's associated with any of it, get it out. And I don't even want it burned in Jerusalem. Burn it outside of Jerusalem and then get the ashes even further. King Josiah says, I ain't messing around. This is evil and wicked. Get it out of here. Verse 5 says, And he put down the idolatrous priests whom the king of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places round about Jerusalem. Them also that burned incense unto Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the planets, and to all the hosts of heaven. He's like, uh, get all them priests that was doing all that filth and bring them to me. I'm going to deal with these people. And he puts them down. This is a man on a mission. Anything evil, he destroys it. He's going to do things God's way. 
He's reading the Bible. He's teaching the Bible. He's reinstituting the Bible to God's people. They agree, and man, Josiah is relentless in his pursuit to rid the land of idolatry, witchcraft, spiritualism, talking through mediums, all this junk. It's going to go. The Bible, listen, now we don't have time to read it all, but the Bible actually goes to great lengths, great lengths to show what all Josiah does King jo- to get rid of all this junk. I mean, it's a lot of reading to see that he goes and, I mean, this man leaves no stone unturned, nothing. He checks everything, and if there's something bad about it, it's getting burnt. It's getting destroyed. It's getting desecrated. That's how awesome King Josiah was. This man was awesome. Look what else he does real quick. 2 Kings 23.10 says, And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughters pass through the fire to Molech. That demonic practice of child sacrifice, Josiah comes up and says, Ain't going to happen anymore. Not under my watch. And he defiles it. He burns it to the ground. So much so that nobody else is going to be able to. He destroys Molech. And he destroys it all. Tears it all down. Thrashes the priests of Baal. Grinds all their idols to powder. Says, get them clear out of this land. I don't even want them in Jerusalem. Then he desecrates the evil location where they practice child sacrifice. He destroys it. He, go, he keeps going, 2 Kings 23, 24. And brothers and sisters, take my word on it. We're skipping a whole lot of awesome things that King Josiah does. We've got to skip a lot of it just for the sake of time. Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem did Josiah put away that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Look at verse 25, kind of sums up Josiah. It says, And like unto him there was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his mind or might, according to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. That's how awesome King Josiah was. The Bible said, man, there was no one like King Josiah. Man, he turned the whole nation completely, not just a little bit, completely back to God. There's no one like him, and there's not going to be anyone like him going forward. That's how awesome King Josiah was. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. Israel has been delivered. Judah has been saved. The ship was sinking, but they found the Bible, and they all changed their evil ways. Now they're serving the Lord through the leadership of the righteous King Josiah. They were able to turn the whole thing around. God was going to destroy Israel, but Josiah led the people back to the Lord. Right? Is that where the story ends? At the end, they're saved. It's all good now. It's it's good. We pray and dismiss now, and that's our lesson for today. I mean, we can't have a story that doesn't end with a happy ending. I mean, every single movie you ever watched, they all got to live happily ever after, right? Brothers and sisters, this ain't no Hollywood script. This ain't no Hollywood script. It's truth. And sometimes the truth is tough to swallow. Because that ain't where the story ends. 
2 Kings. Now, let's read verse 25 again, where it describes and it sums up King Josiah's reign. It says, And like unto him there was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart, all his soul, all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Neither after him there arose any like him. Let's go to the next verse. 26 says, Notwithstanding, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath, wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah, because all the provocations that Manasseh had provoked him withal. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel, and will cast off this city Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house which I said, my name shall be there. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute here. This is messing with my theology now. Now, I thought God was always happy, and, and you know, no matter what you did, he would say, that's okay, it's all better now, it's all good. See, that, that's my theology. Well, here we have the Bible saying, King Josiah turned their hearts back to God. He got rid of all the junk, burnt it all, said, get it clear out of here. But here we see the Bible saying, notwithstanding the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his wrath. He's saying, even though King Josiah, he did do that which was right. He did serve the Lord. He was an awesome king. There was no one else like him. He stopped all the wickedness. He found the Bible. He started teaching it and preaching it again. He started telling the people about it. He cleaned up the church. He tore down the wicked images. He destroyed that place where they practiced. We're not going to do it anymore, Lord. We did do child sacrifice, but Lord, we're going to stop now. We've righted the ship, Lord. Notwithstanding. The Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath. He had been pushed beyond what he would tolerate. Okay then, what did God do? I'll tell you what he did. He destroyed that nation. He destroyed them. Listen to 2 Kings 24 verse 1. And brothers and sisters, I wish we could say... God said everything is okay and everyone live happy ever after. Amen. Let's go get something to eat. But this is what actually happened. And we have, again, I'm not telling you what to think. I'm only reading you. I ain't even hardly preached anything. I'm just pretty much reading the Bible to you this morning. That's all I'm doing. Why is this story in here? Here's what he does. 24 verse 1 says, Now this is just a few short years later after King Josiah says, In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up. And Jehoiakim, that was the king then, became his servant three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. Listen to verse 2. And the Lord sent. Who sent? The Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldees, the bands of the Syrians, the bands of the Moabites, the bands of the children of Ammon, and sent them against Judah, To destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servants, the prophets. Look at verse 3. Surely, the Bible writer, the author writes, Surely at the commandment of the Lord came this upon Judah to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh according to all that he did. Why? And also for the innocent blood that he shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood which the Lord would not pardon. We've slaughtered 62 million. And the Bible said, God says, Josiah, you were a good king. You were. 
You turn the hearts of the people back to you. But the Bible says, notwithstanding the Lord, turn not from the fierceness of his wrath. The Lord says, you shed too much innocent blood. That pushed me. I don't care what you pray now, how hard you pray, this is what I'm going to do. They, they messed with him too much. They messed with God too much. Brothers and sisters, our, our nation, you, you would almost think by the way we govern that they consciously say, oh, what's the Bible say? Because we want to make sure and not do that. It, it's, a, it's poking him. It's like that, that kid sitting there eating lunch and someone's flicking him in his ears and hitting him in the back of the head and messing with his collar. He's going to jump up and grab you and slam you down. Brothers and sisters, this, this, this event doesn't bode well with me. We've shed lots of innocent blood in this nation, a whole lot of it. And the funny thing is, is though we've shed all this innocent blood, we're not even riding the ship. At least Josiah tr tried to right the ship, you know, and said, hey, we need to turn back to the Lord. At least they had that going for them. You look at our nation, we're shedding the innocent blood, we're continuing to shed innocent blood, and we're not even concerned with what God has to say. We're not even concerned with the book of the law. Ten commandments, pff, true for you, but not for me. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar, you may have heard of him, he wastes Jerusalem, wastes it. Listen to what he does. 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 9 says, and he burned the house of the Lord. Wait, now, the Lord would never let anything happen to New Hope Church. I mean, no matter what happens, the Lord's going to protect his church. He's going to keep it safe. And he burned the house of the Lord. If you provoke him enough, he will burn it all to the ground. You don't, he's, he's, he's one entity you don't want to push too far. God. And he burned the house of the Lord. You remember which house of the Lord we're talking about? Solomon's temple. Remember how beautiful it was. I remember Solomon saying, Lord, the heavens of heavens can't contain you. Who can build a house for you to, that you would inhabit it, Lord? But Lord, we dedicate this to you. And God says, I like it. I will put my name in it forever. And here we are a few centuries later. King Nebuchadnezzar is coming in and he's wasting people, killing them, burns the whole thing to the ground. He destroyed Solomon's beautiful temple. And he burned the house of the Lord in the king's house, in all the houses of Jerusalem, in every great man's house, he burnt he with fire. And all the army of the Chaldees that were with the captain of the guard break down the walls of Jerusalem round about. Now the rest of the people that were left in the city and the fugitives that fell away to the king of Babylon with the remnant of the multitude did Nebuzar. Radan, the captain of the guard, carry away. Verse 12 says, But the captain of the guard left the poor of the land to be vine dressers and husbandmen. Brothers and sisters, it was too late for Judah. It was too late for them. They had already called down the thunder. They had messed with God one too many times. It was too late. And the, the question I'm, I'm asking you today is, are we doomed to repeat history? Our nation. Here we are today. Are we doomed to repeat history? Now, I'll let you figure that out for yourself. Maybe you were sitting there thinking, I don't agree with your theology, Jason. Or, or why don't you get out of the Old Testament and get into the New Testament? 
I'm saying that this Old Testament's in there for a reason. I'm saying these events are recorded for us to observe so that we don't repeat history. Now, I'm not saying it's too late for our nation. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying either way, we'd better be serving the Lord. We better stop provoking him. King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and destroys it, raises the whole thing to, to the ground, destroys their walls, destroys their homes, businesses, flat nothingness. He kills people. And then the ones that he likes, maybe someone who's intelligent, he says, okay, you're going to come with me. And he takes all these people captive. That, that's how Daniel got taken in and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all were slaves. They were taken by King Nebuchadnezzar. You can read about that in the book of Daniel. And then the ones that the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the, the poor people, the peasants, he said, I don't want those people. They can stay here and be uh, husbandmen. In other words, what he says is, you all are now slaves. I want you to tend these vineyards and make some good wine for me and, and have business, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to collect all the profits from it. They were husbandmen and vine dressers, and now they would pay tribute to king, the king of Babylon. Now, it's not a very good story, is it? You know, maybe it clashes with your theology, but I'm just saying there is a point where you can push God too far. And I, I question, I sincerely question that, Lord, have we crossed that line? I don't know how he can be happy with what we're doing. I don't. I can't reconcile. I, I read these scriptures, and I am having a hard time finding a defense to say, no, God is happy with us. He's pleased with us. He's pleased with our nation. He's his stamp of approval is on it. I think that we are living in a, a state of pure mercy right now. That if we wake up tomorrow and we're not wiped clear off the map, it is solely for one reason only, because he had mercy. Because I think that we've done more than enough to call down the wrath of God. Now, if the band can begin to make their way back up, there is a silver lining to it all. Okay, I'm not just going to browbeat you and send you home and everyone's depressed. There's, there's a silver lining to it all. And this silver lining is very important. So don't tune out just yet. Okay, I skipped over a very important part, which I'm going to go back to now. But I skipped over it because I think it makes more sense to go back to it now. That we see the whole picture. That even though King Josiah turned back, got rid of all this stuff, Served the Lord, read the Bible, preached, taught the Bible, led the nation back. God said, it's too late. You guys shed too much innocent blood. You've worshipped one too many false idols. You've ignored me one too many times. And he, he allowed, it actually says God raises up. God raised all them nations, the Chaldees, the Amorites, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon. All those, God sent them. He used them to execute his judgment. So it's all destroyed now. But let me get to the silver lining. Remember when righteous King Josiah, during his reign, remember when he told his, his team, go seek out a prophet and see what the prophet of the Lord says to us. You know, Manasseh's reign had just ended and King Josiah takes over. All this wickedness going on. And, and that prophetess says, well, look, I prayed and this is what God's saying. He's going to destroy this place. She also says something else. And this is what she says. 
2 Kings 22, verse 18. She says, but to the king of Judah, which sent you, she's talking about King Josiah, but to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which you just heard, because Josiah, your heart was tender, and thou hast humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard what I spoke against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you rent your clothes and you wept before me, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. God says, I hear you, Josiah. God says, I see you, Josiah. I see your efforts to turn back to me. I hear you. I see you. I observe you. God sees, brothers and sisters. God hears, brothers and sisters. Listen to what he says in verse 20. He says, Behold, therefore, Josiah, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace. Thy eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. Do you see here that God has the ability to hover his hand over the genuine brothers and sisters in Christ, even when he pours out his wrath? So what I'm saying today is, I think this nation is doomed. We are doomed. We have pushed God too far. But I'm saying don't fret, because if you're genuine and you love the Lord Jesus and you've truly repented and he's in your heart, don't fret, because God has these strange little ways of keeping his hand over his people. God was able to reach out in the midst of wickedness. He was able to reach out and hover over Josiah. And he said, Josiah, I'm going to let you live your life in peace. I'm going to let you have your reign and your kingship over Judah. And I'm going to bring you to your grave in peace. Because I don't want you to see what I'm going to do. Do you see the silver lining in that? Do you know what message I get from that? I read my Bible and I say, oh man, this don't look good for our nation. We're shedding lots of innocent blood. That innocent blood makes God mad. But, but what I take from this, these words of the prophetess to Josiah is, we better be serving the Lord. We better be turning to him with all of our heart. We better be believing him. We, we better be worshiping. We better be singing, praising him. Because God heard Josiah. He saw Josiah. God let Josiah reign as king. And he held back because he saw his righteous servant. And he held back his wrath. But as soon as Josiah passed away, God raised up Babylon. And sent them in there to destroy it all. Because it was too late for them. Too late. Even in God's wrath, he has a way of keeping his people. That's my silver lining. That's why I can read a story like this and have hope. Now again, you can do what you want with all this. You can dismiss it, say, uh, you're way off the mark. Or you didn't study enough. You could do what you want with it. I'm only telling you this story is in the Bible. It's actually in there in greater detail than what I said today. We just had to skip over an awful lot of it. But it's in there. And I'm asking you all today, are we doomed to repeat history? Because shedding of innocent blood, God says, I will not pardon. When you shed enough of it, you've done pushed him over the edge. God's our only hope, brothers and sisters. Let's stand. We'll pray. We'll worship one last time. The altars are open. As we worship, worship God as though He has the ability, the real ability to do these things. How many of you believe 
God could wipe us off the map if he wanted to. I believe he could do it in a hurry too. I believe within the span of an hour, things could be different for every last one of us on this entire planet. God is not to be messed with. God is not to be, you can't keep poking him, flicking him in his ears, insulting him, spitting in his face. You can for a while, but then he's, he's going to execute judgment. But always remember, God has a way of keeping his hand over his people. Father God, we come to you this morning. We love you, Lord. Lord, if we want to worship one last time before we go, and we want to worship you as a powerful God. And Lord, you, we, I know that you are merciful, very merciful, Lord. You give us years and years and decades, even centuries you'll give nations who've turned against you. You'll give them centuries to turn around. But Lord, we see from your word that there's a point that you can be pushed. And Lord, I, I don't know where that point is, Lord. I know it, it seems to me, Lord, that we're doing a real good job to cross that line here in this nation. And God, I can only ask for you to show mercy. Show mercy on this wicked nation that we live in. Show mercy on us, Lord God. Lord, please have mercy. Mercy is undeserved, Lord. I, I have no way to justify why I'm even asking you, Lord. I'm asking you, Lord, in your greatness, Lord. Lord, the Bible even describes you as terrible, Lord. When, when you pour out your wrath, it's a terrible thing to, see, thing to see, Lord. Lord, the Apostle Paul, even in the New Testament, says to behold the goodness and the severity of God. Lord, I, I know that this nation is, is messing with you and pushing you, Lord, and provoking you. But Lord, I pray you keep your hand over your people. Lord, there, I believe with all my heart there are people in this nation that genuinely love you, genuinely serve you, who are your people, who are your children. Lord, there's brothers and sisters all across this nation, Lord. No, we never hear about them on the news or TV or any, but there's brothers and sisters, there's good churches all across this nation that preach the word, Lord God. Lord, I pray you keep your hands over us, Lord. The Bible describes the last days as perilous times, meaning they're dangerous. I believe we're in dangerous times, Lord God. Lord, keep your hand over your people, Lord. And Lord, we love you this morning. And we thank you for all these historical books in the Bible for us to learn from. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, these altars are open. And I invite you to worship one last time before we close.